underway on the Pete Callender Show. Pete taking some well-deserved time off, getting ready for Christmas, the holidays. A reflection, time to reflect, a time to look forward. Here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT, I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for the effervescent Pete Callender. Now, you know, as we do this, you know, as I, I'm always amazed at the rampant negativity that, yeah, I think Rich Jenny was, or one of the, one of the comedians I used to follow. I don't know which one. You know, it said, you know, you watch the evening news, and it's like right before you go to bed, it's every horrible thing that happened during the day. Here's, you know, it's eleven o'clock news. Here's who died, and you go and you go to bed, and news makes. I mean, news and social media, it's all of it, kind of collectively gets you in that frame of mind by exaggerating something that was relatively normal. And then it exaggerates it and makes it hyper, hyper, not normal. And, and even with the weather, you know, this, this, not this weather, this is a pretty, this is, this is one for the ages, no doubt. But you notice with every system, it, it, they highlight something horrible about this. You know, we now report on tropical storms as if they're hurricanes. When you were, you know, 20, 30 years ago, tropical storms barely made a mention. It has a tropical system coming in. We're going to name it. And we weren't sensitive about the names. They could actually name We called them hurricanes. <laughs> Hazel and Gloria and Bertha and Fran and Florence. We were okay with that. We, we didn't get offended. We named, you know, mighty, the mightiest, you know, ships out there were named after women. It wasn't offensive. Now it's offensive. Now we don't know what women are. So how can they be offended if we don't know what women are? How do you know that storm's named after a woman? You don't know. Did you check the gender specificity of the storm? How does the storm feel about it? Maybe the storm doesn't feel that way. Maybe it's a trans storm. Maybe there's a whole series of names we ought to come up with for trans storms. But I digress. I really, you know, we look, I love to look at the vision of America that's still somewhat optimistic. Now, do I believe that we have systemic serious problems in the country that are not related to race? Yes. Do I think that we have serious problems that are not related to equity or social equity? Yes. In fact, I think those are serious problems that are, that are self-perpetuating. And when I say that, the the people who there there are groups that want there to be that 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 thrive and need for us to not like each other based on race, or that need for us to find differences because of sexual orientation or sexual preference. They need they need that controversy. They don't make money if we all get along. But uh, America's a remarkable. It really is. And and if you don't believe if you don't believe that, then you haven't looked at history at all. But it's about freedom. And I look at the, I think the Heritage Foundation may put it out. It's the Index of Economic Freedom. It looks at all the countries on the planet, and it looks at things like the regulatory environment. It looks at taxes. It looks at uh, ability to travel. It looks at economics. It looks at regulatory. It looks at so many different legal systems, and it ranks countries based on overarching freedom. And America continues to find itself in decline on the scale of freedoms. In fact, there are over a dozen countries that have Many more free, much more freedom. We don't even rank in the top 10, I don't think, anymore, internationally. But freedom is part of why we're the most desirable country to come to in the world. Legally come here. American exceptionalism, that's a real thing. Liberals may hate it. Progressives can't stand it. But we, we are an exceptional country. It's why other countries look to us for leadership. And it matters who's in that White House. It matters the way we, we make our presence known around the planet, it matters because exceptionalism matters. 
Putting a man on the moon was no accident. That was with willful intent of a nation working and doing something that no nation on the planet has ever done. And hasn't done since, by the way. That's because there are UFOs on the planet. We have the aliens, right? That's the conspiracy. We're entrepreneurial. We're, we are the most entrepreneurial nation on the planet Earth. Have been. Genetically, almost. The people who came from other countries and wanted to build something that felt they had more freedom. So you could almost say that it's a, genetically, we're predisposed to be entrepreneurs. That, that we, more than any country, across races, across the spectrum, we are the nation of exceptionalism and entrepreneurship. And, and a true melting pot, we know we are, no matter where you lived. And I lived in many places in this wonderful country. I lived in many Hispanic cultural-related places in the country and in the South. And so when you go across it, if you were in New York or whatever, wherever you were, we were, we were people that embraced cross-cultural stuff. There are disagreements and scuff-ups and disagreements and jokes and humor. So what the differences are the breeding ground of humor. Just look at the best humor between wife, men and women. I'm sorry, it's humorous. God definitely had a sense of humor making us get along, trying to make us get along. I was always amazed at you know, the equality of marriage. I thought government should get out of the marriage uh, situation, but it said, you know, folks, the pride people wanted to be recognized from a government standpoint, which is great for lawyers now. There's an entire, entirely new genre of uh, legal divorce. You know, there's a whole new divorce legal, a whole, whole different way to make money. We are a country that was self-reliant. And I don't just mean energy independence, which is a manifestation of that. But from the beginning, this, this, this idea of self-reliance, it's what makes us very unique. We look at ourselves that way. And our, almost no country on the planet looks at, it, at itself that way. That Whether an individual, a family, a community, a county, whatever, they like that idea we can do it. We can do it on our own. Overwhelmingly overwhelmingly optimistic on that kind of stuff. We, we just have been as a country. I was, I, was, I was making a list of these things as I was going to. But when you, you know, and overcoming obstacles. We're a country that loves to see an obstacle and say, how do we do that? How do we build a great Hoover Dam? How do we defeat the Japanese and the Germans? How do we have a two-front war? How do we tame the West? There's, I mean, and, and yet we're the, same, the country that also acknowledges mistakes. Says, yeah, we screwed up here. We move forward with it, and we go forward. But there's people. Now, I, I I remember challenging the city of city of Asheville wants to do reparations. Well, to do reparations beyond just being the progressive ultra lefties that you are, you have to come up with a way to do it. And to do reparations, there has to be some kind of racial test for that. And that's where they that's where they don't want to. I've asked them several times. They will not answer the question: Is there a racial purity test for reparations? What about proof of ancestry? Because if you moved here, you know, 50 years ago from another country and you're a certain race, do you get reparations? What if part of your genealogy was people that owned slaves and part of it were slaves? Do you get reparations or do you pay yourself? How does that work? It's silly. The entire concept of reparations is just absurd. But they pursue it anyway. And that's the way Asheville operates. But that's the way progressives like to virtue signal this stuff. But if you look at where we really are now, so, and when I said I had concerns about the country, I, I have all of this optimism. I think we are entrepreneurs. We love to overcome obstacles. We are very creative. We do get along more than the media would like to have you believe, but the vast majority of us absolutely get along. We don't care 
Most most people don't care what their next door neighbors are doing behind their closed doors. That they're not harming anybody. They really don't. They don't care. You have nosy neighbors every now and then. But by and large, look at where we kind of are right now with respect to a value system. We're more concerned about the Ukrainian border than we are our own border. And we have millions of people streaming across undocumented in an illegal fashion coming across our own border. I used to live in Del Rio, Texas. It was one of my childhood homes. I mean, there wasn't much there. It's beautiful. I mean, if you like desert environments, it had it, has it. But now it's ground zero for this horrific human tragedy completely owned by the political left in this country that both won't acknowledge it and creates conditions that make it worse every day. We're not even funding the Border Patrol. We're we're more concerned about funding overseas. This $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill really has very little to do with the border at all. And Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate really ought to be ashamed. I think Richard Burr and Tom Tillis both supported it. Unbelievable stuff. So, if, if the border doesn't matter, if you don't care about your borders, you don't have a country. A country without borders is just not a country anymore. I mean, we used to have a, we, we also, the concept of pride. America had a great deal of pride. We should have a great deal of pride. Look at what we've accomplished. Not me individually or you individually, but collectively as a country. Overcoming the, some of the greatest obstacles the world has ever known. And we've done it. But pride means something so if you throw pride out there, one, one group's gonna say, oh, it's about white pride, or it's LGBTQ pride. It's one of it's, it's this kind of extremist thing rather than just pride, generally speaking, pride, which should matter. It does matter. All of the value systems of this country should matter. And now we, we look at the situation in Ukraine, we look at the situation with China, we look at inflation, you look at your gas prices. Yeah, they're down from a year ago, but they're up from two years ago. Our energy independence, we're so concerned about the assertion of man-made climate change. By the way, all those climate change policies that they want to enact, not, not a single one of them tell you it's going to change the outcome. And who's responsible for the global temperature and who's going to adjust that? Really, who's going to adjust that? Chad yeah. Adams here. Man, I'm having a blast. Making a mess, but having a blast. As the winds come howling in from the north, when they said winter is coming, this is what it looks like. We're, what, three days? No, not even. What, two days? The second day of winter? And it's going to feel it. It's going to be brutal for some of you. It's going to be rough on many. Uh, Stay warm. (laughs) Those wind chills down below zero, possibly in some areas around Charlotte. So do be careful out there. Well, we went to the break. Your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting here. So if you if you if you love the show, I'm Pete. If you don't, I'm Chad Adams, the guest host. And I'm just kidding. I am Chad Adams, guest host. Glad to be here for Pete Callender, and hope Pete's enjoying his time off. Now we were talking about kind of the optimism for America and, and the left's version of this. And I have to wonder, you know, as we head into the holidays, we reflect back on two years of Democrat leadership. They've had the Senate, they've had the House, they've had the White House. And what have, what have their priorities really been? And there, there are two things about it that, that amaze me. One, and again, I, I'm not going to get into any kind of Trump conspiracy stuff, but I loved those policies. I did love the policies of the previous inhabitant of the White House. Trump's policies I loved. And I think they were productive for the country. But I look at the past two years and you go, 70 plus, 76, 78, 81% of the country, depending on which poll you're looking at, believes the country's headed in the wrong direction. There's only been one team in charge for the past two years. So if you think the country's headed in the wrong direction, 
why would you reward the team that that's in charge of running it in the ground? But we did. So, And I'm not getting into conspiracies about election integrity. What I'm saying is this disconnect between the American mindset and the people running the country is catastrophically bad. There's, there appears to be zero accountability for the people that are running the country. I mean, Chuck Schumer, the fact that he's still in charge at the Senate after the election is astounding. For, and forget, you know, Herschel Walker was a bad candidate. There were other states that easily could have overdone, turned things, could have changed it. The fact that Pennsylvania elected Fetterman is astounding. It should be shocking to anybody that can walk upright. The disconnect between the people that are making, laying waste to the way of American life that does matter and makes us more productive is, is, is problematic. If you're looking forward to the country, you're looking for your kids and your grandkids, and you're thinking, what is the country going to look like? And I'm not, again, I'm not a naysaying here, but I am saying you should be seriously concerned because it isn't free, it is worth fighting for, and it's going to take getting involved and getting uncomfortable. It doesn't mean yelling at people and thinking you're going to win fights on social media. It means not backing down. It means having reasoned debate. It means actually discussing issues, philosophical issues, real issues, financial issues, economic ones. Being uncomfortable. No one said you had a right to be comfortable. They, had, they said you had a right to pursue happiness. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It didn't say you have a, you have a right to be comfortable. It also didn't say you have a right not to be offended. That's one of the things. But, the, but look at the vision that they've got. You, you had a country that was energy independent, that was not just energy independent, but it was focused on ways to remain that way heading forward. So it wasn't just about, oh, the Biden administration said, well, we've approved some leases. Well, no, there was a pipeline that was coming down Keystone that was going to move a lot of product. There were other pipelines. But if you're looking at a pipeline right now, you go, well, the regulatory environment is horrific for it. And yet it's the safest way to move product, much safer than rail and truck far safer and consistent and reliable. But when you make when you have a president that, that that cuts back on America's energy independence, says they approve leases, but they've made the regulatory environment so difficult that it's that a lot of companies don't pursue that. And you start begging of Saudi Arabia and Venezuela, you've undermined the entire argument that you believed in energy independence in any way. So it doesn't, it doesn't want us to be energy independent. It wants to push all these green energy deals, which aren't necessarily efficient or reliable, while, while ignoring nuclear, which is completely reliable and, and, and safe and could really make energy right now. Think about that. Cheap, abundant energy is the catalyst, the cornerstone, the foundation of an entrepreneurial-driven society. The opportunity to have access to cheap, abundant energy, not just when the winds blow and the sun's shining, but 24-7, reliable. So the pursuit of the, the, the progressive dream is not a dream. It's dystopian. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not an optimistic group, and it's a group that relies on differences. It wants to separate us by race. It wants to separate us by sexual orientation, sexual differences in some way. It, it, it seems to have a blurry line between kids and adults with respect to that postulation. And I'm being generous here. Many of you are listening to this broadcast now. They're screaming at the radio saying, Chad, you need to go after them harder. You need to crush them. I'm trying to be nice. It's the season to be generous, right? But the vision they have for this country is very dystopian. It is much more large government, big brother oversight 
version of the truth is what we tell you. Now with the Twitter files, if any of you have been keeping track of that story, that's terrifying because it's only a part of the pillar. I mean, Twitter's exposed, the, the exposure of Twitter exposing itself and the FBI and big government working hand in glove with those is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And it should be terrifying to everyone else watching or listening. Because it's not because that's just it doesn't mention Google. What about Google, Apple, you know, Meta, all of this stuff that's out there? They're doing they're doing the same thing. They just haven't exposed themselves at this point in time. We'll see how that goes. But 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 it is important as we go forward in this country, the the vision, the two different visions of America, and they have become very the battle lines have become very clear about those two visions. And Democrats at some point in time, I, I mean, the, the vision that they lay out is one that's very bizarre. It doesn't find happiness. It's never content. It never takes solace in any kind of good news. If the Great Barrier Reef grows and has more you know, coral on it, they don't see that as good news. If shark populations are rebounding, that's not good news. If temperatures are producing record crops, that's not good news. It's all catastrophic. It's all the beginning of the end of time. Welcome back. Look at Bernie. Throwing some REO Speedwagon out there. Old school. Old school stuff. Merry Christmas 2022 to those of you listening and making this, we appreciate it, making WBT a part of your holiday listening pleasure. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for Pete Counter here at News Talk 1110 99.3. Having a blast as always. You have what, two days? This is the eve of Christmas Eve. It uh, the weather outside is indeed frightful. <laughs> Not any snow to make it delightful. Uh, you know, baby, it's cold outside. Don't go. Hey, the ultimate hookup date song. You know, if you do have that date, you can tell. Hey, it's cold out there. You don't need. You'll freeze out there. So it's it's definitely that. Do take care. It's going to be blindingly cold. And for those of you without power, you know, hopefully it gets restored soon. Tens of thousands without power between North and South Carolina. So hope it comes back. So I was looking through some things, you know, me, the eternal optimist. And I do have a story about the uh, super mosquitoes that, that we'll be talking about. I'm sure two or three of you probably looked that up while I was in a break. But don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to keep going. Now, a couple of stories. For those of you who know, I'm not the biggest fan of, of anything climate change related. You know, and... and, and that doesn't, that's, you know, when you do that, here's the problem with political left. They don't like debate. Consensus, by the way, is not settled science. And nor does it, you know, I'm always of the belief that were we better off when Greenland was green? Are we better off when there was a mile of ice over Chicago? Both of those situations have existed in the history of the planet. They have. Were we better off? And if you wanted to change the climate, who's responsible for the global thermostat? Which country are you going to put the UN in charge of determining what the climate is? Because that's what we're really, we're really at the point where one group believes that we're in control of the planet's climate destiny, <clears throat> whether we burn something or don't burn something. It's really what it's about. And that somehow we can rescue ourselves with these highly toxic windmills and solar panels. And when we clear cut tens of thousands of acres and put solar panels off, somehow we're better off. Even here in North Carolina, they're putting they're putting some giant windmills. They're trying to off the shore, seven hundred feet high, seventy story building. These bird quasars that'll chop up 
all sorts of marine birds and don't provide reliable energy. Right now, if the wind is so high, they'd be shut down. <laughs> yeah, the wind's blowing too much, they shut them down. If it's not blowing enough, they don't turn. But Robert Weiss, and I don't want to bore you with this. I'm going to get to the heating oil story. That one is much more real and brings it home. But I do want to get through part of this because we have to have debates about energy. We need to be pushing our legislators in this state and in Congress to say, hey, let's build some nuclear facilities. We do it better. We do it cheaper. We do it faster. It, it provides tons of energy. It's reliable 24-7. You, you can increase it when there's demand. You can decrease it when there's not. It's scalable. You can add reactors. You can do so much. You can do so much, and it's even better. Think about this. We've been doing nuclear reactors since the 60s, 70s. It's now 50 years later. We know much more about how to do it safely, and it is very safe. It's basically boiling water. It's boiling water. It's not that bad. It boils water. You have to cool the water. That's why you have to be cooling towers. But let's talk about wind for a minute. Robert Bryce has a story of real clear, real clear energy. There's one inescapable truth about the headlong rush to cover vast swaths of our countryside and oceans with 600-foot-high wind turbines, up to 700 feet, by the way. The more turbines that get built, the more wildlife will be harmed or killed, and no amount of propaganda, and there's a ver veritable tsunami of that coming from the alt-energy crowd, can change that fact. That's why people who really care about the environment and our wildlife should be pleased by the recent news that two large wind projects are likely to be canceled. If that happens, it will be positive news for two critically endangered species, <gasps> the orange-bellied parrot and the North American right whale. Let's start with the parrot. Species name Nephema creosogaster. A few days ago, the Australian, yeah, those wackadoos in Australia, gave approval to a huge wind project on Robbins Island. Now, you're not going to care about this much, but it's an important story because it relates to here which is located north of Tasmania, but the approval requires the project to be completely shut down for five months due to concerns that the wind turbines are killing these parrots, which migrate from Tasmania to Australia. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation, interestingly named the ABC, quoted an official with a company that is proposing the project, the ACEN in Australia, saying the requirement to shut down the facility for nearly half of the year was completely unexpected, and the company would need to consider our options going forward. The orange-bellied parrot is endemic to southern Australia and is reportedly one of only three parrot species that migrate. If the government five-month shutdown rule stays in place, it should doom the island project. Most wind facilities operate at about 33% capacity factor. Shutting down for five months reduces that to about 19%. So that one's kind of off. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, a proposed 1,200-megawatt offshore wind project known as Commonwealth Wind is on life support after Avangrid, the Spanish company that had been planning to build it, pulled out of the project. The company claims the power purchase agreements now in place are not lucrative enough to cover the cost of the commodities and capital. The move is positive for wildlife because the Commonwealth Wind Project sits right in the middle of habitat for the right whales. There's only about 340 right whales left on the planet. Unfortunately for the whales, America's biggest NGOs, including the Sierra Club, the National Resources Defense Council, and others have been real silent about the negative impact that offshore wind will have on the super rare cetacean, meaning whale. Over the last decade or so, the North Atlantic right whale's population has plunged by 26%, and there are now only 70 breeding fam females left. Imagine for a moment what the Sierra Clubbers would be saying if the oil industry tried to get permits for a few offshore drilling platforms in the middle of whale habitat. Imagine that, just for a second. Think about those groups. 
If you and I were with an oil company, we were trying to put an oil platform right off the coast of North Carolina and the right whales were going there. Do you think the Sierra Club and all of these environmental groups would let that happen? But when it's wind and solar, they seem to not care. And you have to wonder, why would they not care? Because their reality is incompatible with their belief system. They want to believe that all this alternative energy is good, even if it kills things that they spend their lives trying to protect. It's okay to kill them because the higher priority for them is the windmill, not the parrot, or the windmill, not the whale. Fortunately, federal wildlife officials are speaking out for the whales. On May 13th, Sean Hayes, the chief of the Protected Species Branch at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, sent a letter to the lead biologist of the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management warning him about the deadly effect offshore wind will have on whales. But that's not even the strongest part of the letter. Hayes also said the oceanographic impacts from installed and operating turbines cannot be mitigated for the 30-year lifespan of the project unless they are decommissioned. Read that again. The impacts of the turbines cannot be mitigated. In other words, if the Biden administration continues to push for 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind, a plan that will require installing hundreds of offshore platforms right in the middle of the whale habitat, this species will continue to decline. So now uh, the irony of this is that the Biden administration, while simultaneously moving forward with wind that will be detrimental to the right whale, just tried to pass a sweeping maritime change that controls the speed at which boats can move within a certain distance of shore. So they want to protect the whale if you're driving a boat and using gas which will, by the way, cause it to burn more gas because you can't make it highly efficient at lower speeds, especially larger boats, and at the same time push wind energy that could destroy the whales. And that's okay. Somehow, that wackadoo version of reality to them is okay. Makes zero sense. But that's the way, and for, for you, if you're in Charlotte, it's not a big deal, but right off the coast of North Carolina, they're trying to build these giant windmills, just letting you know. let that play. It's more entertaining. Chad Adams here, sitting in for Pete Callender here on the Pete Callender Show. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You want to get in on the conversation, give us a call, 704-570-1110. 570-1110. And you make it right to the front of the line, get you on. But you're probably out there trying to get those last-minute presents. Now, for you men, it's bloody cold outside and getting colder by the moment, I just keep watching that the temperature just drop, drop. Whips, winds whip Charlotte ahead of what's likely to be the coldest Christmas in 30 years. This was updated just about 20 minutes ago. A strong winter cold front making its way through the region could result in the coldest Christmas day in more than 30 global warming years. Before then, Mecklenburg County is under a wind chill advisory from 5 p.m. Today through 1 p.m. Saturday, as wind chills could make the air outside feel as low as minus 10. Wind speeds of 16 to 21 miles per hour expected Friday with gusts as high as 37, forecasters said. The windy conditions could produce power outages due to the heavy electrical load on the power grid. At least 20,000 Duke Energy customers in Charlotte are without power as of this morning. On Saturday, wind gusts expected to remain strong but die down with winds forecast to be around 11 miles per hour. The high for Christmas Eve 
2022 is expected to be around 30 degrees with wind chill values as low as minus four, according to the National Weather Service. Santa's going to have to dress up, put some coats on those reindeer. Saturday night, the low is expected to be around 16 degrees. Brr. That's just that's just bone chilling cold. The historical average low for the December 24th in Charlotte is 33. According, but remember, that's just a collection of highs and lows to get you to 33. This year's Christmas Eve is set to have the coldest low on record in the last decade. The low temperature expected for Sunday night, 18 degrees, according to the National Weather Service from Charlotte. The high is forecast to be around 30 on Christmas Day. So for all those kids that get drones and get sorts of outdoor stuff, it's going to be cold out there. But if the temperature dips to 16 degrees, that would be the coldest Christmas in Charlotte since 1989. A low of 15 would match the lows from the 60s. The lowest temperature on record is from 1983 was 4 degrees. Think about that. In the 80s. So not the early 1900s, not the 1800s. The 1980s. Just for perspective. It's hard to gain perspective, by the way, when you when you look at this stuff. When they throw climate stuff at you, they never really they never really try to put that in perspective, do they? They they just yeah, it's and, and, and used to it was global warming, but then people were saying, well, what about all this cold stuff? Oh, well, cold's caused by it, too. Whether it's cold or hot, dry or wet, all those are all extreme events now. Even though a lot of events just didn't get recorded because there weren't as many weather stations around, every event now is man-made. And if you say something contrary to that, then, then they throw that you, wait, you can't discuss a weather event. Weather weather's different than climate. Climate is the overarching thing. Weather is just solitary events. But then when you read stories, they cite hurricanes. They cite climatological. Even though tornadic activity and hurricanes actually are quite low. We just happen to have one hit. I was reading a story while we were in the break. I didn't want. I didn't necessarily want to bring it here. But uh, in fact, will I do it? Oh, yeah. Five ways. This is the story from Gizmodo. And I'll get to this top of the hour. The other side, I want to talk about the cost that you and I and everyone else are having to pay and the impact it's having on our pocketbooks as we head into this season. And, and these are leftist policies. All of these climate change policies, you may not want to discuss it. It may not be interesting to you, but the net result of it is you will pay more for less. You will pay more for less. Your dollar won't go as far as it used to. You will suffer more. Five ways climate change made life more expensive. So I went through this and I just started laughing because they're not climate change. It's not climate change stuff. The first thing they say is grocery bills. Food prices rose 10% this year, one of the highest rates in decades. The surge in bills spurred by pandemic supply chain issues and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But climate change played a bigger role. Searing heat and extreme weather hurt crops and livestock around the globe. Note, as someone who's been in farming my whole life, Extreme weather is every year. There are, whether it's dry, too wet, too hot, ask any farmer. Climate is part of life for them. So to sit here and proclaim all this stuff and always, and always, unprecedented heat wave in China ruined the corn and soy crops used to feed pigs. Okay, we've had worse ones. We've had, what about last year when they didn't have it? Oh, this year was bad, but last year was fine. But they always take these anecdotes Water bills, delivering water to homes and businesses, a high-cost operation. And there are people in Congress that look at this stuff and go, we need to do more. We need to stop. As if they can stop it. That's the hubris. That's the narcissism of political intrigue with the climate change uh, cult of climate change. 
they believe they can change it all. They believe they can, they can, if they could just pass one more legislation that makes life more difficult and troubling for you, me, and our families, and they can force us and use big government to do it, they will. So, anyway, going through that. Now, insurance premiums, they claimed insurance premiums are up because of this, not because more people are moving to the coast and it's more expensive to insure stuff at the coast, and because when you build a house at the coast and things happen, it could cost you more to replace that. No, no, no. Or the construction cost went up because of the pandemic. And they never, ever, this entire thing about utility bills and all that, they never look at the Biden administration. They never look at the policies. They never look at the southern border and say all of these contributed to things being more expensive and more problematic. They should, but they don't. They should, but they don't. They should, but they don't. Now, we get on the other side of the break. You know, if I were to ask you a trivial question, like, okay, in an average year, do more people die because of all the heat on the planet or because of cold on the planet? On this little orb floating 93 million miles away from a scalding hot solar system. You know, do, is, is it cold or hot that kills more people? As you would think with climate change, scorching the earth and killing people all over the place. We will talk about that on the other side of the break. We also, I, I, I will get, I promise in the second hour, we'll get to the end of the world mosquitoes. I promise we will. So that'll be fun. And we're heading into Christmas. So we have a lot to be thankful for. We, we, in spite of it all, in spite of assertions to the contrary, we have a lot to be thankful for being here. We'll talk a little bit about, about that. And if you want to get in on the conversation, you can do that as well by giving us a call at 704 704- Five seven zero eleven ten. I am your guest host, Chad. I'm sitting in for Pete Callender. Absolute honor and a privilege. WBT's audience, every one of you listening, every time, every year, best audience in the state. You guys are fantastic, and it's always an honor and privilege to be here. So, having said that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Third hour getting ready to be underway. My pleasure, my honor. Talk to you then. <laughs> 